Well, it seems we have a few of our regulars missing tonight, and I don't know if people are at home mourning that uh, epic collapse on the part of the Texans or or what's going on tonight. I was thinking about that and how bizarre that was, and of course the only game I can think of in NFL history to compare to that also involved Houston uh, in Buffalo in 93, I think it was, and so I'm just bringing up more things unpleasant. Um, but we're glad that you're here this evening. Uh, we were talking at lunch today, actually after lunch, to Patty, and, and Patty mentioned that she was really enjoying this new book that we started. And I hope that you are too. And if you don't have a book, I know uh, Nancy got the last one that was out there before we started this evening. If you don't have a book and you want one, please let me know. We didn't order as many books this time as we did of one word because these were uh, more expensive. And so we wanted to make sure that uh, they... We only ordered it really as many as we needed, but we certainly want everybody who wants a book to have one. So if you want a book, you don't have one, let me know. I'm going to place another order for some, and uh, that way we can be sure that we've got enough for everyone. But at any rate, Patty said that the book has already been making her think and study more, and she actually uh, uh, studied through it some uh, with her husband over this weekend because looking back at what we looked at last week, Jesus in Genesis 1 and John chapter 1, she said she knew, like all of us know, that Jesus was there in the beginning, that he's God, he's part of the, the Godhead, but she hadn't really ever thought about what it means for him to be there in the beginning and to be there with God and to, in fact, be God. Well, that sort of thinking is great because that comprehensive reflection on Jesus in terms of all of his nature, in terms of the way that he's revealed throughout all scripture, that's exactly the sort of thing that we want to get at in this study. And actually, that thought that she mentioned relates closely to this second week of readings that we're kicking off tonight, looking at Jesus' before the foundation of the world. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We all know that. That's the way the Bible begins, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. And looking at the links between Genesis chapter 1 and John chapter 1, the way that we did last week, we know that God, the Son, Jesus Christ, was intimately involved in that creation of the world that's recorded in Genesis chapter 1. But what about before that? What about before God rested from his creation on the seventh day? Before he looked around and he saw that it was all good, very good, in fact. Before he created human beings and all the land animals and the fish and the birds of the air, before he created the sun and the moon and the stars, before he created light even. What about before the beginning? That's what we're talking about tonight. And just to sort of jumpstart our thinking for this week as we do these readings, let's briefly consider uh, three 
things to note about Jesus before the foundation of the world. So the first one, before the foundation of the world, Jesus existed as equal to God. Now, I have to be a little bit careful here not to step on the toes of the lesson for next Sunday and the week, the reading for the week following that because it's on the preexistent one. So we're a little bit in that territory here. But we've actually already seen this somewhat from last week, haven't we, that Jesus already existed as equal to God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. So we already note this uh, stated there emphatically in the prologue to John's gospel. Our text this week that was read just a few moments ago from which the, the title of this week's readings come before the foundation of the world also indicates this. First Peter chapter 1, verse 20. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Peter says he was foreknown before the foundation of the world. If we read through John's gospel, there are a number of passages that talk about Jesus in this light, but I think the most interesting one is found in John chapter 8. In John chapter 8, Jesus is in a discussion with some of his Jewish opponents, and they've gone back and forth about a number of different things. But he tells them there in verse number 56, he tells them that their father, Abraham, had seen his day and rejoiced, his day, that day being Christ's day. And when he saw it, he was glad. And of course, that didn't make any sense to them. <laughs> they challenged him on that naturally. The Jews said to him, you're not yet 50 years old. And have you seen Abraham? Listen to this nut. Abraham lived 2,000 years ago. Here's this guy. You trying to tell us that you've seen Abraham? Now, a sufficient response to that to demonstrate Jesus' eternity would have been, before Abraham was, I was. That would indicate that Jesus had existed before Abraham existed. But he goes beyond that in the way that he replies here in a statement that I think really is startling. Maybe we don't appreciate just how shocking it was, but it, it certainly shocked his original audience. Not only did Jesus exist before Abraham, but he talks here, he claims preexistence as God. Verse number 58, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Now, if we don't know the Old Testament very well, that statement doesn't make very much sense because it seems like Jesus is just muddling his tenses here, doesn't it? Before this thing in the past happened, this thing in the present happened, what are you talking about here? That doesn't make any sense. <coughs> Pardon me. But his antagonist recognized exactly what he was saying here. I am is precisely the way that God revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush. I am who I am, Exodus chapter 3 and verse number 14. 
So Jesus is claiming for himself that very same title that God used to reveal himself as that eternally existent one, the one who existed in himself, the uncaused cause, the one who always had existed and who always would exist. They clearly understood his meaning because they took that to be blasphemy. In the very next verse, it says they picked up stones to throw at him. And Jesus had to go out of the temple and try to hide. They tried to kill him. They understood what he was doing here, that he was claiming to be God. The concept of the Godhead, of the Trinity, Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, all is one, that's hard. There's a lot of that that's really difficult for us to comprehend, and some aspects of that we're never going to comprehend here in this life. But what we can say from Scripture is that there's some views of that that just aren't adequate. They're distortions. Uh, subordinationism, that's the term that's generally given for views of Christ that view him as somehow less than God. Uh, sometimes you'll see it put like he's the first created being. Or sometimes it's sort of like he's a junior partner in the Godhead. He's sort of a, a second-class part of the Trinity there. That's inadequate. Adoptionism, the idea that Jesus of Nazareth was a man who somehow had the Spirit of God sort of infused into him for a time. And there are other ideas we could talk about here. But the point is, these sorts of ideas are contrary to Scripture. What we see from this passage and elsewhere, Jesus existed eternally, and Jesus existed eternally as God. Before Abraham was, I am Second thing tonight, before the foundation of the world, the creation of human beings was already planned. Now, there are a number of passages that at least imply that, but probably the one that states it most clearly is in Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse number 8. Paul's talking about his ministry, the gospel that he preaches, and he says to me, Though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Paul says here that God had an eternal purpose that was realized in Christ. He had a, a plan, a goal, a direction that was ultimately fulfilled in Christ. What was that plan, that purpose? Well, looking at the big picture story of Scripture, drawing on some things we looked at last week even, it's pretty clear from growing back and reading that creation account that in the beginning, God created the world, and this world was a habitation that was perfectly suited for human beings. It was a paradise. It was designed for our benefit. And he placed human beings there. He created us and he placed us there in that paradise. 
in his own image, created us to have a relationship with him. And those early chapters of Genesis talk about that relationship. Chapter 3, verse 8, God walked in the garden with man. He walked and he talked with us. We don't know how long that state existed, how long that close fellowship continued, but I don't think there's any reason for us to suppose necessarily that it was a, a short amount of time. But at any rate, however long or however short, ultimately, disobedience, rebellion entered the picture. Sin fractured that relationship. That close fellowship between God and his human creations was broken. Now, God still loved human beings, but God's nature is holy. It can't tolerate sin simply because of the way that his nature is. And so he cast human beings out of the garden. They no longer enjoyed that close fellowship with him. God then pronounced a curse on all the parties involved in that sin. And for our purposes tonight, notice what he says to the serpent. Genesis 3 verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Here we have the very first promise of the coming Redeemer. One who would be the offspring of woman. You notice the way he says that. He's born of the woman, so without an earthly father. One who would be bruised at the cross, but who ultimately would bruise the head of his enemy who would conquer victoriously in the resurrection. So in other words, this was what God purposed in Christ Jesus all along before the world began. And that brings us organically to the final thing we want to note tonight. God planned not only humanity's creation, God planned our redemption before the world began. God knew that we would rebel against him. He knew that we'd sin. And he knew then that because he loved us and because he wanted that relationship with us, that he'd have to make some sort of way to extract us from the bondage of sin. So God's eternal purpose, God's plan before the foundation of the world was to reconcile fallen humanity to himself through the cross. It's not that God didn't anticipate Adam's sin, and it's not that God had to come up with some sort of contingency plan then there on the spur of the moment on the spot. God knew all about this. God knew that we would sin, and he planned then in advance what he began to announce there at the fall. And if we read through all of the Old Testament, we find the chain of events that's set in motion that's ultimately fulfilled in Jesus, particularly fulfilled in the cross. Think about that. Really think about that. Putting all of this together tonight, Jesus is God, eternally existent, equal to the Father. He created us. He always had us in mind. Without him was not anything made that was made. 
And when he created us, he knew that one day he would come and he would die for us. Back to our text in 1 Peter chapter 1. If you go just a couple of verses earlier in verse number 18, Peter says that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He says it explicitly here. You were in sin and you were pulled out of that. You were ransomed from that by the blood of Christ. Why would Jesus do that? He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. He did it for your sake, for my sake. Jesus loved you. Jesus loved me. Jesus loved us so much. Not only did he plan you in advance, not only did he create you, but ultimately he died. He created you knowing one day he would die so that you could be brought back into a relationship with him. What a source of faith and hope that is. It's precisely why Peter calls it that in the very next verse. Let's rejoice in what our Lord Jesus has done for us. But maybe you're here tonight and there's sin in your life. Maybe you haven't fully appreciated what it is that Jesus has done for you in dying so that you could be ransomed and reconciled to God. If that's the case, and if you need to repent of anything in your life this evening, won't you come and make your need known now while we stand and while we sing?